Thank you for pressing start on episode 24 of Underplayed, KZUM's indie video game podcast. Today we have two secret games followed by a review of our featured game, To the Moon. Here on Underplayed, we review indie games of all kinds, the games with small budgets, but big hearts, the lesser-known experiences with imaginative ideas. I'm Bo Poe, and joining me is my player too, Disco Cola. How's it going? Hey, Bo Poe. I'm just trying to remember what brought the two of us together, but here we are. How are you, Bo Poe? Uh, I'm doing just fine. My moon-bellied bunny. <laughs> Those are references to our featured game, To the Moon. And I might recommend to you, Disco Cola, stop taking those beta blockers. <laughs> I think that's what's I need it. screwing you up there. Uh, so, anything new to share? Uh, I did purchase, just last night, a game from Season 1, Episode 1. Whoa! The only game that I don't have from that episode, Virginia. You purchased Virginia? I purchased Virginia. It was on sale. And it was a digital or physical? Digital, yeah. I digital. don't think it has a physical. Okay, um, cool. But I was I was purchasing Return of the Oberdin because I needed that. And there you go. Saw that it was on sale. Yeah, so lots of I'm... games are on sale this very moment. Of course, that won't mean anything to <laughs> listeners uh, in a while when we post this. But I noticed there are tons of games under fifteen dollars on the PlayStation Store. Yep, yeah. So I will play that eventually. Nice. Very cool. Um, another game that is very cheap you picked up recently is an upcoming featured game. Yeah. Amnesia, Amnesia. Collection. The Amnesia Collection is yeah. really cheap right now on, on PlayStation. Again, we- it'll be too late uh, by the time this gets out to you folks. But uh, Yeah, but I think they're putting it on sale because it is October when we're recording now. It's close to Halloween. I think they're putting a lot of s- spooky, scary games spooky on scale uh, on sale. Not that... Virginia is a spooky, scary game, but <laughs> they usually have a couple of sales yeah. going on at the same time. I assumed that was the reason. Yeah. So I'm glad you could save a ton. I think it's like 90% off oh, yeah, of the Amnesia nuts. collection. <laughs> I um, was relieved. And you got super lucky because I had a thought maybe they'll put that on sale around Halloween, but I just went ahead and bought that because I I didn't want to think about it. I kind of doubted it would go on sale. Like, what are the odds that the yeah. game I want to go on sale goes on sale? 90% off. Shoot. There you go. So. Uh, oh, well. Oh, sorry. well. <laughs> well, let us move on to our secret games. Secret games. Secret games. Secret games. Secret games. In secret games, we're each picking a game to play on our own time in secret. We don't tell each other what we pick. It can be any indie game that we choose as long as it has not been reviewed on Underplayed before. Sometimes we pick a game that has something to do with our featured game. Sometimes it's a completely different game. Uh, You tend to fall into the former camp. I usually fall into the latter camp. And as always, we'll start with you, Disco Cola, for Secret Games. What did you choose to play for episode 24 of Underplayed? Well, to be totally honest, I don't have a ton to say about this game because it's pretty short. My secret game is Wattam. I'm going to believe you. I'm going to believe that you played Wattam. It's not Wattam. Dang it. (laughs) Dang it, someday. You know, I think we skipped that whole inside joke for season two. Most of it. Most of it? Yeah. Okay, we did it once? Yeah, I think so. Okay, yeah. So Wadham is kind of our 
our joke secret game. Someday it will be our secret Someday game. Someday it will be. But not today. Not what is your today. actual secret My game? My true secret game, I still don't have a lot to say about it because it is quite short. My secret game is The Unfinished Swan. Awesome. I've played this. I know. And I sent you the trailer anyway, even though okay. I know that you've played it. You know what? Why don't I watch the trailer to refresh myself while you talk about it. Okay. So in The Unfinished Swan, you play as Monroe. Monroe is a young boy that lives in an orphanage after the death of his mother. Um, Monroe's mother loved to paint and had dozens and dozens of unfinished paintings. But when the orphanage limited Monroe to keeping just one of them, he picked The Unfinished Swan Painting. Uh, But one day, the swan in the painting has disappeared. And so Monroe takes off after the swan to inside the painting, possibly. But uh, this is this is a bit of a goose chase, so to speak. And this uh, this takes Monroe. The swan across. chase. I'm, you know, <laughs> at the front here, I do want to say that I will probably accidentally call this a goose. That's okay. At some point. There's Untitled Goose Game, Unfinished Goose It sounds swan. just like the goose in Untitled yes. Goose Game. So. I totally understand. Um, yes. So apologies up front. Um, but... So what? when you're chasing down this goose, you end up uh, traveling across the stretches of an empty kingdom. Uh, but that's about it, really. Like, while traversing the kingdom, you learn a lot more about the kingdom and the king that resides over it. Um, but the thing that makes this stand out, really, is the game's presentation. And that presentation comes in the form of, at first, a totally blank slate of a world and you uncover the world by splashing it with black paint everything in the world is just a stark white and then you throw your little paintballs all around and that uncovers the world Uh, and that's a really unique way to literally build the world through painting Um, narration is delivered uh, through pages that you discover throughout the kingdom and as a, a fascinating parallel uh, the the story delivered through that narration, as well as the world itself, visually become clearer uh, at the same time. So the story becomes clearer as the world becomes clearer. And I think that's pretty neat. Um, but yeah, just overall, it's an incredibly artful presentation to a story that features a lot of elements of art. Um So some of the things that I really liked about The Unfinished Swan, uh, first and foremost, is the music. The music overall is very solid, especially the first level. Um, That song's pretty much ingrained into my brain. Um, Another thing that's really cool is like something from Portal 2 with all the different goos or whatever, uh, they found a way to take just the paintball mechanic in itself and give it different properties in different situations. So in the first level, your paintballs are black and you're uncovering the world so that you actually know where you're supposed to go, where you're supposed to walk. In another level, the paintballs are actually water and it will either cause vines to grow um, or fill up small buckets of water. I don't think there's actually, but you understand like small bodies of water. Um, In other areas, all they do is just push objects in the world you can build cubes in another area of the game by by using just these paint splotches. So I think that's a really cool way to take the same mechanic and give it several different lives. I think that's really cool. 
And that's how this game builds its identifiable stages. Yeah. What I remember about this game is there are like, what is it, four to six, you know, kind of stages, yeah. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. in quotes, stages. And that's how you can kind of know where you are in the game is what power you're using and, you know, what the, that paint, quote mm-hmm. unquote paint is doing and also what does the world look like yeah, around it's you. It's like, oh, you're in the cube one. Okay, I know where you are. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. It's not just uncovering stuff with paint the whole time, which back in 2012 or so when this came out, I thought that's all the game was, was you're in this blank canvas and you're just shooting black paint everywhere. Mm-hmm. But there's more to it. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, those are some of the things I really, really like. Uh, there's a lot of other small things that I like, but I want to go over a couple things that I don't like about the Unfinished Swan. Um, first and foremost is the spiders in the darkness. Um, but most specifically, if you're playing this on PS4, um, the spiders will send sound out of your controller oh, fun. when they attack you. It's fun <laughs> unless you're holding a six-month-old in your hands that's sleeping. Oh, gotcha. Uh, yeah. And it wakes that baby up, which happened uh, several times, actually. So f- frustrating. Yeah. And, and there's not like a setting for you to like... You can't turn down the speaker of that? Well, I'm sure you can turn down sound effects, which okay. I think would probably do it. But I had like... My TV was already at like seven on the volume. So I'm like, oh, I'm fine. You know, I can play this with one hand right now. Uh, but now I have spider sounds louder <laughs> than the television coming out of my controller. Um, another thing that I hate about this game is the minimalist trophy. Uh, this oh. is one of my least favorite trophies I've ever had to do. Is this the one where you're supposed to traverse without using... Your paints? Yeah, you traverse the first level with using five paintballs or less. Oh my goodness. And I hate it. It's yeah. terrible. It's so hard. Even with sound, like it's still pretty difficult. I don't think I attempted that one at all yeah. when I played it. I, and I played it on PlayStation. It's not worth it. Yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, if you don't care about the hundred, it's not worth it. Yeah. Um, I think the coolest thing, though, about the Unfinished Swan is that I played this after What Remains of Edith Finch. Now, there's there's a certain connection between the two games, which has been officially confirmed, um, and it makes certain things about what remains a little bit more impactful. Yeah, and um, if we haven't mentioned yet, they are both developed by Giant Sparrow. Yes, I haven't de- I haven't mentioned that. And What Remains of Edith Finch, a previous featured game from season two on yes. our show. Yeah. Yes. Um, so yeah, I don't think that scene uh, or story, whatever you call it, in What Remains of Edith Finch is actually as powerful when you already know the revelations that you receive from Unfinished Swan. I felt that it, if I had played these in reverse, that scene would have fell a little bit more flat. It would have yeah. been like, oh, hey, I recognize that. And that's about as far as that would have gone. Um, additionally, related to what remains of Edith Finch, that, that point that I made, is that I don't think, I don't think the Unfinished Swan holds up quite as well as similar games. It's a short experience, it's artful, and it's valuable, um, and I really enjoyed playing it, and it definitely feels like one of those like standout PS3-era indies, um, and I think I would have really loved it in its time, uh, and that if I had played it back then, I think I would feel nostalgia for it now, um, but for me, playing it now in this day, it's essentially an auxiliary experience of What Remains of Edith Finch, and that's about how I'm going to compartmentalize it in my brain from now on. Um, So I am glad that I played this game. 
I wish there was just a little bit more substance in general. Um, if you kind of take out all the actual level traversal, the whole whole story is boiled down to like less than 15 minutes. So there's not like a ton of substance there. Um, it feels like a little bit of a, a long walk for making a smaller point and a very short story. Um, and, and that's kind of like, it's weird to call it a long walk considering the game's very short length. Um, but anyways, that's just kind of how I look at it in my head. Um, I think its presentation is unique and enjoyable, um, but I don't think the game overall holds up incredibly well. Um, but that's, I think that's pretty much the only thing wrong with it. Uh, which if that's all that's wrong with it, that's still a pretty solid game in my mind. I'm going to give the unfinished Swan a 2022's 7 out of 10. 7 out of 10 for Disco Cola. I think I'm about right there with you. I think I may be closer to a 6.5 or a 6 on this, but it's been several years since I played it. I think I played this after What Remains as well. I think I played What Remains in 2017, and then I played this maybe in 2018. Mm -hmm. So I'm... I don't remember every single portion. I remember like moments and what certain places looked like. Uh, but this actually is in my top 100 indie games list. It is super low. It is at number 97. Right. So it's still in there. <laughs> it will get bumped off maybe in the next few we months. Probably, yeah. In the next as couple we weeks. Play, yeah, in the next couple of weeks <laughs> as we play more games for season three. But it is up there near where Virginia is. Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on Virginia, uh, since you mentioned you got that. Um, it is up there. What else have we played? Um, Aerial Knights Never Yield is near there. Cat Lateral Damage Remoustered is up there. A lot of these games are, are very different from each other, but yeah. <laughs> to give you a sense of where it stands in my placement. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said based on my memories of this. I think this game was an earlier example of Indie games as art, like mm -hmm. show pieces for video games um, that weren't just uh, all action and all platforming and all adventure. It was this game where you walk around, you throw paint at things, and it's more of a walking simulator. It had that unique mechanic of throwing paint onto things, and yeah. that was really innovative yeah, at the time. I yeah. agree. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I would have loved it because I think about the five or six other indie games that I still have on my PS3. And, you know, this this would have really stood out among among that cast of games for sure. But uh, I've played a lot of cool indie games since since the PS3 uh, started and uh, it, it doesn't doesn't quite match some of those. So. Awesome. Well, we will move on to my secret game. My secret game is also one from around this time of Unfinished Swan oh. uh, the following year my game would release. My secret game is called Device 6. Have you heard of Device 6? I have not heard of this. Okay, I'll send you a trailer. I chose this game because I picked up this game off of the App Store years ago and started to play it and never finished it. I somehow got hooked onto something else and just never returned to it. So Device 6 is a 2013 adventure-slash-interactive fiction game uh, developed by Simogo, also published by Simogo. And I will read the game synopsis from the iOS App Store. 
quote, a surreal thriller in which the written word is your map, as well as your narrator, Device 6, plays with the conventions of games and literature, entwines story with geography, and blends puzzle and novella to draw players into an intriguing mystery of technology and neuroscience, end quote. So I played this game on um, my iPhone. You have to play it on an iOS device, so you can play it on, on an iPad as well. And this game follows the story of Anna, who wakes up in a castle and she sees this lighthouse in the distance with no memory of how she got there. And she starts to explore the castle to find out what's going on. And this game is presented as this interactive mystery novel that really heavily focuses on puzzles. So on your screen, you use your finger to drag the text along as if you're reading an ebook. It seems like a normal, you know, novel experience, but then the text of the novel is displayed differently and starts to mirror the events of the story. So when Anna approaches a staircase, uh, she'll go down the staircase in the story, but the words themselves will also stair step downward and the screen will scroll vertically as you swipe horizontally. Um, Another example of this is when Anna hits a fork in the road or a split in a corridor, the text displays in multiple directions. And depending on your path, you might have to rotate your device. So you get to the end of a hallway, you can go left or right. If you go left, you have to turn your phone counterclockwise. And now you're reading the story as you go along that corridor, and the text is perpendicular to the text you were just reading. Um, There's another section where you get a mask that you can toggle on and off, and the mask changes the color of the screen and shows you hidden details that not wearing the mask wouldn't show you. So the puzzles in this game involve uh, context clues in the text, uh, noticing hints within pictures, uh, solving riddles given through music and sound effects as well. Um, Sound is actually a huge part of the narration and the puzzle solving in this game. In chapter one, there's a puzzle where you get to a room with a tape recorder and it just has this voice playing this riddle on a loop over and over and over. And he says, quote, in the room of the Renaissance man, a simple math problem is the key, a framed number where red meets yellow in a frame, plus another framed number between hope and lies, plus the channel I am on. And then it loops and he says it all again. So you're listening to this guy and you're recognizing little details of what he's talking about, remembering where you saw certain uh, words, uh, certain pictures, and you have to go scroll back through the story to get to the place where you can find those numbers and do that addition and input it into a device to unlock a door. But if you forget his riddle, you have to go back to his room and you know, with your volume up, you'll start to hear his voice come back as you approach the room more closely. So it's very spatial in that way. Uh, So the game will often have you going to the end of a scenario, running into that dead end with a locked door. It has a riddle. uh, And then you go back and try to find those clues to figure out that riddle. Uh, There are six chapters, each with different locations. Um, The game has this vintage mystery feeling, almost like classic espionage. There, um, There's lots of old technology and all these creaky abandoned locales. And 
what I really liked about Device 6, having now finished it many years after I bought it, um, I loved all the ways in which this game is unconventional and unexpected. All the bizarre actions you're doing, rotating your phone, listening to those riddles on one end of the map, and then keeping it all in your mind as you backtrack. Um, There's a level where you get this mirrored text and you have to actually hold your phone up to a mirror to see what it says. Uh, So all these ways that I've never played another game are here in Device 6. You never get a sense of what will happen. You feel like anything can happen in Device 6. Uh, The story goes to places I couldn't have guessed. There's also this meta element that gave me goosebumps. Um, I won't spoil anything about that, but there's something special about the story waiting for you at the end. You get lots of head-scratching, nonsensical details that are sprinkled throughout the story, and then later you get that context that makes you look back at things differently. I always love that in stories. And then I just love the innovation that the page on your screen is all at once many things. The story, the map on which Anna walks, the way you receive puzzles, and also the key to solving those puzzles. And it's all happening in concert. And I'm just in awe of it all happening at once. And then at the heart of the game, the puzzles to proceed to the next chapters, I think are excellent. They're the right difficulty. They require paying attention to many kinds of details. That always kept things fresh, but they were very surmountable. They never took me longer than 20 or 30 minutes at their hardest, which I thought was just the right amount of time. So the average person will take maybe several hours to complete this game, which I think is a great length for Device 6. Um, Although it's read in the style of a novel, each chapter is very digestible. Uh, There are stretches of prose that are broken up with pictures and interactive elements, so you never feel like you're reading this long, drawn-out story for too long, even though it is in that style of the novel, which I know might not be your... Style of writing, as you've said. Calling me out. I don't read. Sorry, guys. Right. So (laughs) I just figured you might ask about that. You know, how is this for somebody who might not like reading a novel? Um, So it does get broken up. And then the use of sound effects and music is creepy. It's eccentric. It's so excellently done. Uh, Sometimes the emotion or the tone of the sound has this dissonance with your environment. Sometimes the sound or the music is more cheerful, but you're in this abandoned, like, spooky place. That makes it so spooky. Yes. I played this game with noise-canceling headphones, too, so I was really immersed in this experience. If you can play this in a really quiet environment or even with headphones, I really encourage that. Um, I have just a few dislikes with Device 6, and it's mostly that the act of backtracking can be a little laborious with the amount of finger scrolling you sometimes have to do. Um, especially when a riddle is just at the far end of a map, and then you have to go back a long ways. Uh, The game can sometimes ask you to remember a lot, but I think that's part of the design. It's just sometimes laborious. And um, I almost felt the need to keep a pen and pad of paper handy. If you're somebody who likes that activity of writing notes alongside your game as you're playing, that might not be as much of a, a hindrance for you, though. And then I just wish this game kind of outside the experience itself, I wish it was just more accessible on more platforms. I understand that the act of scrolling your finger and and doing all this rotating of your device and such, it's very particular to mobile devices and tablets. But at the very least, hey, put this on Android devices. I wish Android people got the chance to play this. There are some people who will never have an iPhone, for instance. So that kind of makes me sad. Um, But I don't think that will happen. This game is almost 10 years old. 
And I, I think that train has left the station on that one. Um, and I think that's about it for dislikes. Like, otherwise, I really enjoyed this game that still feels fresh despite being nearly a decade old. I don't think there are any imitators of Device 6. I think the length and puzzle difficulty and ambitions taken with the story are great. Uh, the game makes me feel really smart and perceptive. I do wish it was available on more platforms, but that, you know, putting it on more platforms like consoles and stuff might ruin what makes it so special. So I think Device 6 is now one of my favorite indie games, and I scored a 9 out of 10. Heckers, baby! Yes. Oh, man. Okay, so let's, before we move on, let's play the quick little guessing game. Where is this on your favorite indie games list? I did put it on that list immediately after playing it. Let me pull that back up. Um, so this you, is my top 100 indie games list. Okay, I have it. Can you tell me where Omno is? Yeah, Omno is at 40. Okay. I'm going to guess Device 6 is at 17. Ooh, you're fairly close. It is a little bit lower, meaning it's not ranked that high. Oh, okay. 23. It's 24. Wow. Yeah. Hackers, dude. Hackers, yes. I think this game's excellent. Now, replaying it uh, might have diminishing returns just because I know some of the solutions now, but maybe if I revisit this in like two years, um, it would still kind of feel fresh. There is the part of it, though, that is the surprising story. I think that will stick with me for a long, long time, especially the meta element I alluded to. That's excellent. I have so many questions about the game, but I don't think you could answer a single one of them because they're all like technical development side questions. Oh, like, yeah. Well, what's what what's going on in your mind? As so you look in at my this? mind. So like you were you had my phone in your hand yeah. while I was talking and I, I could see you were just uh, kind of shocked at what you were seeing. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So in my mind, I'm like, is this text? Like, is this actual text? Like if if I had the ability to hold down and copy this text, would it copy or oh, is it? I don't think so. Is it all one big image that scrolls around that has boundaries? Yeah, I think it's an image, but I think the, you know, the quote unquote image sometimes changes, you know, as you, what? as you come back to, it. I think so. I think there are certain moments where that applies. That's insane to me. Um, oh my gosh. So I could be mistaken about that though. But so it, yeah, I, I can't like copy it or anything. Operating under the assumption that it is there there are, are no text elements on there. Like if you were playing on a different sized iOS screen, mm. does it scale in a different way? I don't know. I think it probably, no matter what, uh it tries to just conform to the same aspect ratio. I haven't tried it on my iPad. That's I only tried so it on my phone. Fascinating. Yeah. That's insane. So me. you you were like rotating, you were going down the corridors and stuff and rotating the phone, right? So yeah. you can kind of see how that works out. And then the pictures are really cool because those hide clues and riddles and stuff. Oh yeah, there's some like parallax in there. Yeah, so yep. Like yep. this I can't I literally can't play this game, but this I'm jealous of this game. Like and I would I mean if you want to play it in chunks, I could let you borrow my phone. <laughs> I could borrow your phone. <laughs> um, we did do a we did a we had you experiment with um art school on my Switch. So we could do well, something that's like little, that. That's yeah. a little bit different. That's not 
part of your uh, livelihood. We'll, we'll figure out a way for you to <laughs> maybe play the first chapter because you could play the first chapter in probably 20 minutes. Okay. Well, um, if, you're, if you're able to just sit down and concentrate on my it. My wife has an iPad, so maybe I can play it on that. Yeah, and, and this I'll, game is I'll like five bucks, okay. I think, on the App Store. So. Okay, well, I'll take a look at that. I'm still probably not going to get a smartphone just to play it, but uh, <laughs> I do think this is really cool, and that's it's such a cool way to use what is like mobile devices like thing, which is a touchscreen. Right. It yeah. like uses that in such an artful way. Yeah, so of cool. course, some games can go on many platforms and just end up being stuck on one platform because of exclusivity deals or first-party developers. There's not really an argument for that to just be on one console or platform. This is a situation where, okay, this game is only on mobile devices. Does it have to exist only on mobile devices? And the answer is yes. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so this is a great use of this format and this way to play games. I will also note the game is creepy. It's never outright scary or horrifying. Uh, it is accurate to say it's a thriller. Um, Samogo, the developer, has also developed Sayonara Wild Hearts, our upcoming featured game oh, no this way. season. Yeah. So they have a very interesting catalog. I think they aim to just develop very different experiences yeah. with each game they it's make. Wildly so different. I, I have huge respect for them. I actually started that one already. Very different. Yeah. Yeah. You can already <laughs> tell, right? Yeah. So. Uh, those are our secret games, The Unfinished Swan and Device 6. Let's move on to our review of To the Moon. It is our featured game. So we kind of have a theme going on accidentally with this episode with games that are about a decade or more old uh, because To the Moon is from 2011. It's a psychological drama. Our other two games were from 2012 and 2013. So we got 2011, 2012, <laughs> 2013 going on in this episode. I think I think our secret games synergize relatively well together in interesting ways. Yeah, for sure. Um, Anyways, we're yeah. here to talk about To the Moon. <laughs> no, it's a great observation. Um, to the Moon was developed and published by Freebird Games. I will read the game synopsis from the Steam storefront. Quote, a story-driven experience about two doctors traversing backwards through a dying man's memories to artificially fulfill his last wish. End quote. So this game uh, is an adventure game developed in RPG Maker. It was mostly designed by someone named Can Gao. It has a 2D 16-bit art style. You play as the aforementioned doctors Rosaline and Watts, who are memory traversal agents from a place called Sigmund Corp. And what these people do is they use this really advanced technology to alter a patient's memories to fulfill a wish before they die. And a lot of the ethics behind this are explained in the game, but basically they fulfill these wishes for people who are on their deathbeds. And in this particular game, To the Moon, they're hired by Johnny, who is an elderly man who's about to die. He lost his wife, River, several years ago. And Johnny's wish is to go to the moon, but the reason is a mystery. And when these memory traversal agents uh, fulfill these wishes, they're not actually 
in Johnny's case, bringing him to the moon. He's not going. He's not actually going. And he knows this. He knows yeah. that his actual body is not going to the moon. But rather, they're stepping backward through his life via his memories, using this technology they have, and they are giving him the perception that he is going to the moon so that he can have this nice, happy memory uh, before he dies. So there's a, a lot of poignancy to that, a lot of beauty in that, just with that premise. And Rosaline and Watts start traveling backwards through Johnny's memories, uh, starting with his most recent and they collect these mementos that establish memory links so that they can keep going backwards. And in gameplay, this takes the form of walking around all of these little vignettes in Johnny's memory and selecting items of importance. A lot of items show up multiple times. You'll see like certain toys show up in multiple decades in Johnny's life uh, because many items don't just uh, exist in one place in one time and have mm -hmm. importance for one period of time. So uh, then with enough memory links, you can interact with a memento and prepare it, which turns the gameplay into this like short grid puzzle section where you're arranging tiles uh, to fill the screen with the proper tiles. And then you can establish that memento and then go backwards further and further. Uh, throughout the memories, much of the story comes from Rosaline and Watts uh, talking back and forth with each other. Watts is a little immature and sophomoric, um, but he tends to do a lot of things by the books when he does do his job. Rosaline is a lot more professional, um, but can lose her patience with Watts quite a bit. Uh, and she can also take risks, and she takes a risk in the story, for sure. Um, and then there are other side characters. Um, Johnny has a caretaker named Lily. Um, Lily has two kids, Sarah and Tommy. And then there are some characters, Nicholas and Isabel, uh, who are Johnny's friends from when he was growing up. They show up in some of his memories as well. Um, is there anything else you would say about the setup or the, the story or the gameplay for this game? Not really. I think that that covers the premise for sure. I would note up top that this game is very light on gameplay. You are walking around a lot. You're, if you're playing on PC, clicking on things a lot to try to find those mementos. But really, this game is foremost about its story, I would argue. Mm -hmm. I first played this in January 2014, oh. so about three years after it came out. And um, yeah, it was a long time since I had played this. I was basically, I mean, I remembered what happened at the end. And I remembered a lot of the story beats that were big, but a lot of the tiny moments I had forgotten. So some of it was fresh, some of it was familiar. And in 2014, when I played this game, um, I was in my early 20s and this game ruined me. This game <laughs> made me cry. Um, up to that point, I don't think any game had made me cry as hard as this game made me cry. And I'm not trying to spoil my review for this time too much, but it, it left an indelible impression on me about what simply designed games could do as far as games that are short and games that are designed with, you know, a pretty approachable art style, right? Mm -hmm. um, the game has overwhelmingly positive reviews on Steam. Uh, there are about 50,000 reviews at time of recording, which is a lot. Uh, so this game is massively popular for an indie game of this size. Uh, it has, since 2011, been ported to Mac, Linux, uh, mobile devices, so Android and iOS, 
And those mobile uh, versions are technically remakes with HD graphics. And then in 2020, nine years after release, they remade the game using the Unity engine, which is crazy. So we don't see that too often, that games are remade uh, using a different engine um, on a completely different platform many years later. So... Uh, And then I would also add, according to Wikipedia, an animated film adaptation is in development for this game. I don't know if you heard about that. I hadn't, but uh, I'm glad that you said that because um, that specifically is a point that I wanted to make at some point. Okay. Yes. And then Freebird Games, they created a bridging game, a bird story, and a sequel, Finding Paradise, that were released in 2014 and 2017, respectively. So these characters, uh, Watts and Rosaline, they show up in Finding Paradise, which is a 2017 game I have not played, but imagine a completely different scenario other than Johnny's, like another client, another customer for Sigmund Corp. And that's what that game's all about. So uh, I might check that one out one day. But To the Moon is very story-driven. It's full of these intimate story beats and lots of story reveals that we don't want to spoil because we don't want to spoil like big things for our audience. So uh, with that, along with gameplay being relatively light on this one, I think this is going to be um, a little challenging to talk about. And I think we can talk broadly about our feelings on the themes and the story uh, with gameplay notes here and there, but this might be a shorter review. Who knows? Yeah, I think It's so. kind of hard to talk about this one. Um, and Disco Cola, I also know, you know, based on a previous episode, you've said you don't like when games are designed an RPG maker or appear that they have that RPG maker feeling. But this game kind of transcends other RPG maker games in how it's played and what it does with story. It's a very experimental story, I think. So now I'm very curious about how this game landed on you as someone who might look at this game and think, uh, it's not my thing yeah. at first glance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like you, like you alluded to, uh, this, this is made an RPG maker and it, at one point I had considered buying the physical edition of this game back when I first started buying physical editions. Uh, and I looked into it more and did, see that art style and it did kind of turn me off because I don't really I don't like the look of RPG maker um pixel art uh and I don't know I don't know why it just I I used to dabble in pixel art and it's just not my favorite visual style of pixel art so I did pass on the physical edition um when that did come out uh however when I did start playing it this time it was not you know I don't want to use the words quite as bad as I thought it was going to be, but it wasn't quite as bad as I thought it would be visually. Um, now, you 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 drove home that uh, it's light on gameplay. Uh, one of my points was that I didn't super love the actual act of playing the game uh, at most points. Um, I did eventually find some love in actually doing some of those flip puzzles. when I When I started to get the hang of it, I'm like, oh, I kind of get this. Like yeah. when I see certain combinations of of tiles are flipped, I, I've started to feel smart. I'm like, I, I know which steps I need to yeah, take right I now. I never felt like I 
mastered it, but I got to the point where I could see like two moves ahead. Yeah, so and eventually, eventually, once I realized like what the game was actually asking me to do, because I didn't totally get that at first either. I was like, oh, and now I can see like it wants me to do this in this minimum number of moves, and so I kind of wonder if there's like a secret ending if you get that number. I don't know if there yeah, is. I don't know. I I do remember my very first time playing. My, you know how it says like total attempts, Mm -hmm. it keeps track of all your attempts across all mementos that got super, super high. And I was much more efficient this playthrough, I think, because I remembered my frustrations of just almost getting to the point of randomly clicking rows and columns just to try to knock something loose. Yeah, Yeah. I did definitely did that for the first couple before I got the hang of it. Um, But yeah, I, I do think that this game starts really slow, and I think that we spend what feels like a disproportionate amount of time with elderly Johnny compared to the other periods of his life. But at the same time, you know, for every person, more recent memories are likely to be more salient. So logically, that makes sense, I guess. Um, But I did kind of want to see, like, what Johnny and River were like when they were first married a little bit more, maybe, rather than, you know, at the end of their lives. Um, at some point in the game, I, it became harder to tell like who our main character actually is. I feel like I know a lot more about Johnny and River, but I don't feel like I know them in a way that I know our doctors, Watson, Rosaline. Like, I feel like I know them as people. Um, but I also don't totally like the doctors all the time, uh, especially Watts, um, (laughs) <laughs> so I kind of want Johnny and River to be the main characters, um, but I did have a tough time like figuring out who I was, right? Air quotes in this situation. Yeah, you're playing the scientists, but you know, in To the Moon, you're focused on Johnny's story, and then in Finding Paradise, you're following somebody else's story. Mm-hmm. You're still controlling Watson Rosaline in that game. So okay. there's this disassociation going on, where like. Yeah, you are learning a lot about Watson Rosaline, but more about some of their personality quirks rather than a lot of their backstory. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, I played this on PC, and I'm kind of thankful that I did, even though this is on on Switch and we tend to be console players ourselves. Um, though I'm sure controller probably works relatively well for this, uh, I didn't really enjoy using the arrow keys to travel. Uh, luckily. You can click, and clicking on a destination will auto-walk your character there, which is very helpful because I hate walking around in this game. Um, But, like you said, this game excels in its story, and I think the story is really well-written, especially for the medium it's presented in, uh, and with that weird like sci-fi lens that it's it's put in. Um, So after that slow start that I mentioned, I did begin to become invested in the story and even began along the way trying to sort of guess the ultimate conclusion of the game um, eventually to success. Uh, oh. uh, but I also started to guess like the significance of the items that we needed to find to continue the story. So in that way, it's a lot like a movie and especially with pacing, you get the little bit of a slow start and then you get invested and then it takes off, you get your climax and then your conclusion. So I think I would love to see this as a movie or mm. even just as an animated pixel art story, even if it's the RPG maker style of art, if it's an animated story that I get to watch, you know, once every three weeks online, I think that would be really great. 
and it would trim out some of the parts of the game that I don't really quite like as much. Um, and maybe even give the experience an excuse to expand on some of the characters. Like uh, you mentioned Johnny's friends that he had when he was growing up. I want to know a little bit more about both of them. Like I know a little bit more about um, the, um, the Nicholas Nicholas because he was in high in that high school scene. Yeah. But I feel like I don't know much about Isabel. Isabel. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's really the true value of developing indie games, to be honest, is you may get to develop and distribute stories when maybe you do want to make a movie and you can't. So you use the medium of games to tell that story. And I think that's really cool. And I think that's really powerful. I think that's the point, um, of indie games. So yeah, to the moon, it creates a compelling story told with a bit of a cool sci-fi lens that I actually enjoyed and I think enhances the story trope of going backwards in time. Um, there's a twist I wasn't expecting that doesn't even really feel that cheap. Um, I appreciate the conclusion and I totally, totally understand uh, why you have been on the record as saying that this is one of the first games that made you cry. Um, I get that. It makes sense. It's a great story. Um, I didn't enjoy a lot of the rest of the game, mostly just like the actual act of playing it. I think I would have rather watched it. Um, and uh, I have here in my notes that I hope someday it gets adapted into a movie or a short series. And, and it is. So it will. Underway. <laughs> I will also give this game a 7 out of 10 for me. Nice. Uh, I'll go into my thoughts, and I think you you very thoughtfully put into words a lot of things that I agree with that I'm not sure I could find the words for before, um, and I appreciate your thoughtfulness about maybe why this had to exist as a game, because I, I didn't really think that through, but I agree with you to a certain point replaying this game. it's This game is uh, very emotional, and it did leave me tearless this time. Uh, but I think it's because I had played it before and I'm not as emotionally vulnerable to these kinds of stories, maybe like <laughs> these m many years later. You're not a lovesick 20-year-old anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it being my second experience, it kind of opened my mind to considering how else we might be able to portray this story. And so I'll get to that in a second. But I like that this story is a backdoor mystery tale. Um, you think that it's just telling you the story of Johnny's life, but then you really get curious about it. And alongside the doctors, you start to ask what happened in Johnny's youth. Um, there are a lot of moments where one of the doctors turns to the other and they go, you don't think it's this, do you? Without actually saying. And then they go, we'll just have to find out. You know, right. And you're, they're not telling the player, but that's very much what I'm the kinds of questions I'm asking myself, like, oh my gosh, is she, or did he do this? Mm -hmm. And uh, it makes me want to examine those details. And going backwards through the story gives some of the strange sights that you saw before more impact. Um, there's imagery of origami rabbits and clocks that don't tick, and you don't know why those things are there. They very obviously have a purpose, and they're given that explanation later. And I think that um, it sets up those um, those satisfying reveals really well by going backwards in time. Um, there were a lot of details that were memorable for me as I was going back through on my replay. Certain gameplay 
uh, unique gameplay sections like the horse chase. Um, <laughs> the carnival is my favorite moment in the game. Um, it ties up a lot of the loose ends up to that point and is a really sweet beginning of a love story. Uh, the very end was memorable. Uh, I also immediately remembered the main piano theme. Uh, this this game has music by Laura Shigihara, yeah, who we know from other games, um, Plants vs Zombies, yes, right, yeah. So primarily, and uh, yeah, there are lots of little details sprinkled throughout. If you're really perceptive, you can notice some things. Uh, for instance, when you go backwards in time you see some of Johnny's early memories and he might be in school with all of these other school children and, and teachers running around and the characters he remembers are fully rendered and like there, and you can like often talk to them. There are tons of characters though that are background shapes and they aren't given full definition and you can't see what their face looks like. And that's very much how our memories work. Yeah. And it's kind of reminding me of what Before Your Eyes did where some parts of your memory are cloudy, and so we just don't get to see what that looks like. Yeah. So I like those little touches. I think it's very thoughtfully put together in that way. Moments like that are supported with some of the thoughts the characters have, too. There's a line by River I liked where she says, um, the world would be a lot more beautiful if people remembered faces more. So I thought that was echoed in her thoughts really well. Um, the game has these themes about fitting in and... People who are different finding congruency that I thought was beautiful. Uh, there's a visualization of these memories linking backwards at one point where you've gone through all these uh, memories and you have all of these tokens, all of these mementos, and you have to arrange them in a certain way to create these links backwards. Um, that happens at kind of a linking part of the story uh, between like, I think it's close to two acts. And I like that visualization of that. It takes something that's really abstract and um, gives it a nice representation on screen. Um, some things I didn't like um, that I think were more noticeable to me this time replaying the controls. I found the controls to be really clunky. Um, even using mouse to click places, I got frustrated with that. The characters just kind of bump into yeah. obstacles really easily. Um, I found myself switching between mouse and uh, arrows on the keyboard for movement um, because those the controls are just so clunky depending on what you're doing in the game. And some things are easier with the mouse, some things are easier with the arrows. Um, I don't know that this needs to be a game or at least an RPG maker game. You were talking about different formats and, and mediums you would experience this story in. I could see this being a visual novel mm -hmm. or a novel. A, you know, a traditional novel yeah. on the page. Uh, I think it could work in a number of ways. Um, if I were to re-experience this game, I might want to see what a visual novel is like with To the Moon. I also found Dr. Watts to be cringe uh, often <laughs> in the game. Um, I, I, don't, I didn't remember him being that annoying, honestly, at times. And he kind of drives Rosaline nuts and uh, understandably so. But overall, I think To the Moon is a game that you play primarily for the story and it's a story that might be suitable existing at a slightly different format, but it's a unique blend of science fiction and humor and romance, and it's emotional in its themes of fitting in and how different people can 
find love and come together and you know live a life together. It's also emotional because it's music, I think, is scientifically designed to make you cry. So <laughs> I actually uh, rated this game a little bit higher than you. I'm going to give it an 8.5 out of 10. I knew you would. I figured it would even be higher than that. I think originally when I played this, it, w- it was a 9. You know, if I were to score it back in 2014, it was probably a nine. Yeah. Um, not not a perfect game even back then for me. But um, a lot of people love this game. It's got overwhelmingly positive reviews on Steam. Again, it, I, th- I looked and I think 96% of its 50,000 reviews or so were positive, mm-hmm. which doesn't happen with every game. It, it's pretty hard to do that. It is still in my top 100 indie games list. I uh, did move it lower ah. in my list after playing it. Um, that's the danger sometimes of yeah, replaying. Yeah, how often does that happen to you? Not often, because I don't like to replay stuff usually. Yeah. But it is now at it's now at thirty two. Okay, and it was closer to 20. I think it was in the teens before. Yeah, so. It's a little lower now. I think I I think I remember like scouting the last time you showed me that list. Like scouting ahead is like, oh, where does he have to the moon? Yeah, because I, you know, I wanted to. I knew that I probably wouldn't like it as much as you, and I wanted to be like, okay, just how how harsh can I be if I end up not <laughs> no, liking this? You can you can destroy a game that I love. I don't mind. <laughs> I, I think mind. that makes I think that makes an interesting conversation. I mind. Well, I will destroy every game you love. No. Um, <laughs> There are also two short holiday specials they made for this game that I have not touched. And I oh, wanted to yeah. I wanted to try them out on Steam and I just didn't have time. But there are these two short holiday specials that take place primarily with Watts and Rosaline. So I don't think you see Johnny in these. Okay. They're holiday specials. I think they're like 20 to 30 minutes in length apiece. And they're primarily designed to give you more insight into Sigmund Corp and the two scientists. Hmm. So that's what makes me think, like, it, does that mean that this game is mostly about the scientists? Or are those short holiday specials, are those the focus on the scientists, whereas To the Moon is the focus on Johnny? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what the priority is there. And yeah. I agree with you that that's a little muddled and not really committed to either way. Um, not sure it bothers me too much, but... Yeah, I'm, ultimately what matters is the story. Yeah. So, like, it doesn't matter a ton, but I've still, like, it ruined immersion for me a little bit, I would say. I hear you on that. And I actually thought I had this memory of the game really being a lot about Johnny. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised at how much was about the doctors just bantering back and forth and arguing and just getting a sense for how quirky they are, mm-hmm. th- their personalities. Yeah. There's a lot of that. Yeah, eventually I started to realize like how little River and Johnny actually say yeah. in the game. Yeah, so I must have filled in a lot of that story in my mind after I played or something, or I, that was more valuable to me story-wise, so mm-hmm. that's what I chose to remember more of, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know that I have any other thoughts or questions or ideas about this game i'm actually when you said that there is a sequel and a whatever lark lark song bird song uh the connecting story a bird story a bird story yes i'm actually excited about those despite not loving to the moon a whole lot i'm i'm wondering if maybe like playing something else in the same universe would make me appreciate this game more yeah i would say 
a bird story and finding paradise could probably be secret game eligible for mm-hmm. both of us. And I think that would be fun to just do a little report on. Like, this is maybe how my experience with Freebird Games catalog is is going now that I've played two games from them. Yeah. I haven't played a bird story or Finding Paradise. Interesting. And I've seen a bird story on storefronts. I've never I, I never knew that it was a bridging game between these two games. So I don't know what a bridging game means even. <laughs> um, like, I think it's like takes place in the universe, but it doesn't have the characters in oh, it. Oh, okay. Um, but apparently it bridges right into Finding Paradise. So there's something there. And I want to, I'm curious too. I want to know what that's all about. Yeah. And that, see, and I think maybe that just speaks to how I think that this maybe works better in another medium where, because yeah. this is sort of the same like, Oh, now I'm kind of excited about this that you have with those like limited series or or movies that are in the same universe kind of a thing. Yeah. So we talked about a similar thing when I reviewed Sky Children of the Light. Yeah. That those developers were planning more Sky games, at least at that time. They were, you know, Sky Children of the Light was just the first and Sky it was like Sky colon Children of the Light. So Sky colon insert next game title. Um, that actually excited me about a game series that I was pretty lukewarm on for mm-hmm. the first uh, for the first game. Maybe I want to see what they take the best of from this game and apply it going forward. I think I would I would want to see what happens in uh, these next two games. And these next two games, you know, they've been out quite a while, <laughs> and lots of people have probably played them. But uh, we'll see. Well, we'll I'll get to them someday. I'll try to at least. Yeah. Yeah, let me know. I don't because you'll probably beat me to it. So let me know. Cool. Anything else you wanted to say about To the Moon? No, I don't think so. Um, yeah, it, I played it, an RPG Maker game. I can yeah, say that I've you, done it. Yes, I would want to play this. If someone put a gun to my head and said you have to play To the Moon again, I would play it on Switch because it was remade in Unity. I wonder how less clunky it is to control. Yeah. I wonder if it's like really smooth. Yeah. And like I controlling didn't... with the directional pad or the analog stick is really nice, maybe. And you know, how do you how do you select items? Like do you have to walk up to them? Maybe walking doesn't feel quite so terrible if you have to walk up to these yeah, items. I don't know. There were a couple moments in the game where when I wasn't using mouse, I was using the uh, arrows mm-hmm. and I was using space to select things. Mm-hmm. Space is, does the same action as right, clicking. Right. And so I was doing that for a while and I was like, do I prefer this? Eh, I think I like using the mouse to try to find items, but then moving around, I like the arrow keys. Yeah. I don't like clicking around. So I was mixing and matching. Going back and forth. Yeah. yeah. And that's perfectly fine. Yeah. On Switch, I'm probably pressing a button and going up to the item, yeah. I think. Yeah. So I don't know. Or maybe, 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 maybe walking's better. Maybe the right analog stick controls the mouse on screen maybe they keep the mouse i don't know yeah Uh, i'm sure it's pretty smooth being developed in 2020 um a good time after the game came out but i don't know who's to say someone who's played it someone who's played it yes (laughs) well uh that is our review of to the moon you can play it on pc mac linux Android, iOS, and Nintendo Switch. Dusko Cola rated it a 7. I rated it an 8.5. That's the end of this episode of Underplayed. You can find more episodes at kzum.org slash underplayed and on common podcast services like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Our music was composed by Jack Rodenberg. Our art comes from Onimochi. Underplayed is on Twitter at underplayedpod. 
You can find me on Twitter at Bopo, that's B-O underscore P-O, and check out that same handle on the GG app where you can see my game lists, such as uh, the aforementioned top 100 indie games lists that I have. And I am at Disco Cola on Twitter and currently on hiatus, but you can find me on Twitch as well. Next time, we will have two more secret games to review, and our featured game will be Stray, an adventure game developed by Blue 12 Studio. Until then, everyone, keep on playing.